0: Joined now here in studio by the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, Hello. of Kentucky. Great to see you again, yeah, sir. Yeah, glad to be here. So let's talk a bit about tonight. What are you expecting from the president? It's always a big narrative evening for the party in power. Uh, I'd imagine you probably won't be leaping to your feet all that often with rapturous applause. Going to try to avoid that. I think the good way to stop, uh, start is
1: to see uh, talk about what the president's job is tonight. I just looked at a poll today that you may well have referred to. It said only 13% of Americans thought the State of the Union was strong, 13%. They're reacting, obviously, to open borders, rampant crime, inflation through the roof, and the balloon. A whole week surveying all of America before a decision to shoot it down reminds me of the tentative nature of their involvement in Ukraine, which I largely support. Frankly, my biggest criticism of the president on Ukraine is they don't seem to do things fast enough. So that's the challenge the president has before him in trying to convince the American people of something they do not think, which is that the State of the Union is strong.
0: And he wants to take credit for it, too. And that will be almost inevitably this sort of rah-rah thing about how, thanks to Democratic policies, look at the job growth and a few other things. I mean, you kind of know what's coming to some extent, a whitewash of the problems, a claim of victory. You know, maybe there are some people who are persuaded by that. I wonder if it's actually a potential backfire based on the polling. It's not where the public is. Yeah,
1: he's not going to be able to convince people that what I just said is not true. Mm -hmm. But- It is an opportunity for him to make his case to a fairly large audience and I expect he'll do it as well as he can given the circumstances.
0: President Biden a few weeks ago was asked about the document scandal and the Mm. classified materials and he said, this was out in California, that he had no regrets about any of it. Just yesterday he was asked if he takes any personal blame for the mishandling of classified information. He said flat no. The White House wants us to believe, as they repeat ad nauseum, that they take all of this very seriously. But when you have the chief executive saying he has no regrets and takes no blame at all for his own actions, I mean, does that sound serious to you? No, I kind of like the way Mike Prince handled it. He said, uh,
1: I may well have inadvertently done this. Come look. Um, From a public point of view, I think the administration ought to treat all three of these situations exactly the same way. No difference and um, in the end we'll see whether this is something we should all be alarmed about or not but one thing I know future presidents are going to do I hope is be a lot more careful about what they take away from from the Oval office
0: there's this looming debt ceiling negotiation that's sort of already Mm -hmm. underway the deadline for real looks like uh, sometime in June I had lunch today with Speaker McCarthy, and he was giving some off the record thoughts about his approach to this. And I know he it was very public that he met with the president last week, and he had described publicly that, <clears throat> meet him as, uh, that meeting rather as productive and good. A long way to go, though. It seems like there's a pretty big gap still between what the White House is wanting and saying versus what Republicans are saying. You were not in that meeting. What's your approach to this? Do you kind of want to let the president and the speaker do their thing, and you're going to hang back and see what comes out of that? Well, first, a little history. Uh, Joe Biden and I negotiated the Budget
1: Control Act. I remember. 2011. Yep. Um, It was in conjunction with the debt ceiling. If you were interested in cutting spending, it actually did it. We cut spending for two years in a row for the first time since right after the Korean War. So if you were interested in reducing spending, it worked. Over the years, both parties didn't live with it, <laughs> frankly. We didn't like what it did to the Defense Department. They didn't like what it did to non-discretion. But if the goal was to reduce spending in conjunction with a debt ceiling discussion, it worked. Joe Biden was my negotiating partner. We're the two that did the deal. So the, he's this precedent that he participated in for doing this. And that's why I support the speaker's effort to get the president into a negotiation.
0: So just given that history though, and it's an important reminder, we've talked about it here on the show, why is Biden's initial posture, at least, that he won't discuss this at all? Like it's just verboten, it'd be so irresponsible to use this leverage point to make a deal. He was the lead democratic negotiator the last time it
1: happened. The last few times it's happened, presidents of both parties have not been willing to negotiate spending reductions in conjunction with the debt ceiling. So what he's looking at, his experience under Obama and the experiences since then, and if you're the president, you don't point back to 2011 with pride. In fact, John McCain, who had a wicked sense of humor, after that negotiation, he thought I had gotten the best of the deal and that they had Joe Biden in a witness protection program over (laughs) in the Democratic Party. (laughs) So So I, I can understand the president's lack of willingness to do this because he took a lot of heat in the deal that we did together in 2011, if I may brag a bit. The Democrats felt that I out-negotiated him, and this is not a pleasant memory for him, and I don't think he wants to repeat it.
0: Although it was signed into law by President Obama. It was That's the precedent. That's the history. Yeah, he was, was front indeed. and center yeah. for all of that. So I, I guess the upshot is, just as far as the debt ceiling is concerned, it seems like it's your position that it is an untenable stance for the White House to say we cannot negotiate, we will not negotiate. Well, they're claiming the wrong precedent,
1: I'll tell you that. And I think Kevin is trying to do the right thing, and I support him. And the reason he needs to take the lead is they're in the majority. And um, I think he's doing the right thing. Hopefully the president will enter into some kind of reform
0: on spending that makes a difference. Last time you and I spoke on the air, it was before the midterm elections. And you were hopeful about the elections but cautious, I would say. And, of course, then we saw what happened, and it was an underwhelming night for the Republican Party, any way you slice it. There were some very bright spots. Florida, Ohio, Iowa, Republicans did win the House, not by the margins they were hoping for. (laughs) You guys lost a seat in the U.S. Senate. it has been a lot of finger-pointing there. I wonder, as we start to look ahead to 2024, do you think there's going to be any learning of lessons on the political right In that, you know, Democrats spent tens of millions of dollars meddling in Republican primaries. Mm -hmm. And in every single case where they meddled and got their preferred Republican, they won Mm -hmm. every single time. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you think Republican voters who might have been skeptical of you or anyone else's position now that we've seen the proof in the pudding, the actual outcomes, where Republican voters might resolve to not let the Democrats pick Republican nominees for Republicans in the future? Uh, In the Senate, that only happened in one state. I mean, the the answer
1: is we had a candidate quality problem. I talked about that in August. Number two, when I was on your show and every other show, I never predicted a red wave. We didn't see a red wave in the polling. We have to have the single best qualified candidate nominated in these states in order to have the kind of year that we want to have. That is some... That is an evaluation shared by almost everyone on both sides who is actually involved in polling and analysis. So we're going to f- focus like a laser in this upcoming Senate cycle on candidate quality. In other words, get nominated, the candidate who's most likely to put it in the win column in November.
0: And just to clarify, there was the one example in the Senate, New Hampshire. There were also gubernatorial examples, House yeah. examples. Across the board, I think there's a lesson yeah, here. Yeah, my, my point is, though, I, I was focusing on the Senate. Sure. And that only happened in— one
1: Senate race, New Hampshire, yep. and uh, our we we ourselves in several places nominated the, the least electable candidate. Yeah, it's just Republican with, without voters. Democratic in- <laughs> Without their help, right? Yeah,
0: bad decisions were made, all on the Republicans' uh, part. On that same front, I've watched with interest in the last week or so. I'm not sure if you follow this particular mini drama, but. Former President Trump and some of his supporters have been attacking the governor of Florida, saying that he was actually very bad when it comes to COVID policy, which I find a very strange line of attack on the merits, but that's what they're trying. They're test driving it. And someone who actually amplified that attack was the national rapid response director for the Democratic National Committee, piling on DeSantis on Trump's behalf. It seems like some early meddling on the Democrats' part, does that intrigue you at all is, is there a lesson there well I think what
1: we have underway on the Republican side is a genuinely competitive race for the presidency for the nomination we only have one announced candidate but we're going to have more and Democrats getting involved in this in one way or another I'm sure is not unheard of <laughs> and um, what, what I think the, the, the bottom line is for Republican primary voters we want to nominate the most electable candidate if we wanted to defeat Joe Biden or whomever
0: the Democrats nominate. We had Governor Chris Christie on this show last week. He's widely rumored to be looking at running for president. And he just said flatly on the air, and he said it elsewhere, too, that he believes former President Trump cannot win a general election in 2024, not viable in a general. That's his warning for Republican primary voters. Do you agree with him? Do you think Trump... Could, could not win an election Yeah, in I'm years? not going to get involved in the presidential primary.
1: I, I may well get involved in Senate races in the primary if we have a choice between a clearly electable candidate and somebody who can't win in November.
0: On the other side of the aisle, the reporting is that President Biden is gearing up to announce another run for the mm-hmm. presidency. You've known him a long time. My working theory now for months has been that he's not actually going to run. He's not up for it can't do this job for another six years but I guess you know he's feeling some win at his back after the elections and the reporting at least suggests that this is at least the plan for now he's gonna run for reelection do you think he's gonna follow through with that I mean based on what you know about Joe Biden do you think he'll, he will be the nominee for his party as the incumbent heading into 24 I think
1: it would be hard for him not to run again And I would predict that he will run again. And as the incumbent president, if he runs again, he'll be the nominee. Uh, Our job is to beat him in the fall of 24.
0: And to do that, we have to have the most electable candidate. Finally, looking more at the near future, heading into the next cycle, what do you feel like Senate Republicans can achieve over these next couple of years with the Democrats where it's, appropriate and then also fighting them and stopping certain things what are some of your key battle lines and red lines in your mind I think the most important thing is what will not happen this two years thank
1: goodness the house flipped from Democrat to Republican why is that so important that means there will be no reconciliation bill the reconciliation process I'm sure your listeners have learned over the last few years is something you can do one party only it's a way around the Senate filibuster. They dropped $1.9 trillion on the economy in March of 21. Larry Summers, Bill Clinton, Secretary of the Treasury, said this is going to create rampant inflation. They did. It did. And they doubled down on it again last summer with another $750 billion on top of that, both through the reconciliation process, meaning not a single Republican voted for it, with the House becoming Republican, they can't do that again. Mm -hmm. So they cannot have a trillion dollar spending spree again. Good news. Further good news, the legislative agenda, I mean, Schumer's trying to figure out what to do because anything he might pass is not gonna pass the House. The House is doing a good job, I think, of rolling out proposals that they can pass with a simple majority. I think they'll continue to do that. Many of them will be widely supported by the American people, will not go anywhere in the Senate, and um, we're going to, I think, be set up on the Senate side, plus a favorable map. Very favorable. To, to finally get the job done, provided provided, we have quality candidates on the general election ballot, which I think
0: is my main focus. And I would say up and down the ticket, especially at the top, because you can have quality down. If at the top there's a problem, there's a cascading effect potentially. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And the map, as you say, is favorable. That's sort of McConnell-esque understatement. It's extremely favorable. We'll see how it goes, and a lot of battles teeing everything up for the next election cycle. U.S. Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the upper chamber, he represents the state of Kentucky. It is always great to talk to you. It's especially great to see you here in studio. Glad to be here. I enjoyed it. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. It is the Guy Benson Show.
1: That was this week's edition of the Guy Benson Show Sunday replay. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts.